Good evening. I'm broadcasting live. Oh, I didn't put the date. Broadcasting live on the 28th today. Got it wrong last night. September 28th. Today we have a quote from the Jataka. Robin, would you be so kind as to tell us the, what the quote is? Sure. One who would give up wealth to save a limb. I apologize, I had the, the YouTube in, going in the background. One who would give up wealth to save a limb or sacrifice a limb to save his life should be prepared to give up wealth limb, life, indeed everything, for the truth. Five, hmm. Just a second, I want to find the Jataka. This is a quote that my teacher said, my teachers used before, um, when people worry about their physical health. And at first I thought it was something he came up with himself, but shame on me for underestimating him. Uh, if innocent, let's see if I can, I'm trying to find this quote. Ah, here we are. I think. Yeah. Why why it's why it's worth me looking this up. I I'm sorry to take the time, but um this is because the uh old version of the trans the old translations that we have are actually they actually rhyme in English. So they translated these verses into English and they made them rhyme. Which is nice to read. That maybe that doesn't mean much to anyone, but it's a really incredible feat that they translated this huge, you know, the Jataka stories are, uh, take about this much room on your bookshelf. Well, maybe, right, let me think, maybe this much. But that's um, just a huge undertaking. So here's, I think this is it. Let me see. Yeah. One who would, one who to save a limb rich treasure, one who to save a limb rich treasure gave, would sacrifice a limb his life to save. Yea, wealth limbs life and all away would fling, right and its claims alone remembering. <laughs> I mean, how they managed to do that, that is impressive. I think you have to read it to really understand what I just said, though. Was it clear the meaning? Because it's all twisted around. No, it sounded good. Ye wealth life ye wealth limbs life and all away would fling. Right and its claims alone remembering. So he used, they use the word right here when it's Dhamma, right? Dhamma Chagenaro Dhamma Manusaranto. So I use the word truth, and the word truth again is not correct. It's not truth, it's not right, it's dhamma. 
jagedanam anga varasuhetu. Angang jage jivitang rakamano. That's okay. Angang dangang dhanang jivitan chapi sambang. Jage naro dhammam manusaranto. A naro, a man, a person would give it up thinking about the dhamma. Thinking only of the dhamma. So righteousness. It actually doesn't mean like the teaching of the Buddha because this is a jataka. This is in a time when there was no Buddha. So Dhamma means righteousness. So actually the, the old translation does better. Ye wealth, and because it's, it rhymes it even. Ye wealth, limbs, life, and all away would fling. Right and its claims alone remembering. One And then it continues on. One from whose lips a man the truth may prove, yea, all good men that will his doubts remove. A refuge sure is he, a rest, a stay. The wise man's love for him should never decay. This, the whole, the whole book is full of these gems of of you know Buddhist wisdom. They're not deep Buddhist wisdom, but they're Buddhist wisdom. And uh, they're all, they've all been translated like this. So it's an awesome, awesome set of books to read. When I was in Doi Sutep, I think I read these from front to back. Every day, reading a few more Jatakas, slowly, slowly going through a huge volume of literature. Very much worth it. Not as, not as worth it as reading the suttas or, you know, learning about meditation and so on, but... If you're into reading, it's better than pulp fiction. It is, a lot of it is like fiction. A lot of it is probably greatly exaggerated, to say the least. But anyway, it doesn't really say why we have this quote. There's not much to say about the quote, except it is an awesome quote. It's a good, good quote for teachers to remember. When your students come and say, Oh, I, I have to go home because I'm going to lose my job. I have to, you know, they're doing a meditation course. Oh, I think I, I can't stay any longer because otherwise, you know, yada, 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 or they're practicing and, oh, I so much pain and, and so on. I think I have to go home. My health isn't gonna, isn't letting me meditate, you know. It's just like that, or people who are concerned. We had one meditator I think we went too far with way back when I was just, beginning to teach. So I was working with this Burmese Mechi, a Burmese nun, and uh, we had one meditator, a woman who had some kind of, um, you know, they looked like warts almost. It was some kind of, I don't remember what it was in the end, but it was a bacterial infection. No, not like it was some kind of really awful tropical thing. But it was just manifesting as these little bumps, kind of like warts, all around her. Wherever, I think wherever the clo her clothes touched her or something. Yeah, that's what it seemed like. And so we we're talking about it, and we were saying, you know, okay, well, I didn't want to push her, but I said, you know, if you feel comfortable continuing, sometimes meditation can help, you know, with these things. And the Burmese nun gave her some something, and I think someone else gave her something. She ended up finishing the course, but like it just got worse and worse until at the end, the last day of the course, um, she finished. If I remember correctly, she actually finished the entire meditation course, but I think had to go right to the hospital afterwards. Which, honestly, I mean, that is kind of the tradition. It's not something you could ever do here in the West without risking a huge lawsuit or criminal action. I don't know what, what happened in Canada. But it's what Jakupala did, right? Jakupala wouldn't give up his meditation practice, his vows of not lying down, even to save his eyes. In the end, he went blind. You have to be pretty darn sure of the, of the Dhamma to do that. But the rationale here is you would give up your you give up your wealth to save your limb, to save your a body part, right? You would give up wealth to, you know, if you had to pay a lot of money to save your organs, for example. 
but we will sometimes sacrifice an organ if it means to save our lives or a limb you know, we might have to even cut off one of our limbs if it means saving a life but the question is is there anything more valuable than our lives and indeed there is something more valuable so where this really comes into play is when the only way to save your life is to do something unethical for example to do something against the dhamma and this jataka you can't remember exactly which one it is but it's something to do with the man eater so if it's this one about the the king it's about angulimala when he was a right when he was in i'm not going to read through it and i haven't done my research but I'm pretty sure it's the story of i don't know if it is hmm. right something about a man eater mahasutta somajataka one of the big ones been so long but there's um, you know in the case where suppose the only thing the only way to get food was to steal or the only way to you know if you're under attack by someone else and so it's either us or them you have to consider what's more important to stay alive but be a villain or to be compromised or to continue on in the next life, uncompromised. It's an interesting choice because sometimes you don't know where you're going in the next life, right? So it might actually, you could imagine a case where doing some unwholesome deed might be a better idea because when you die, you're going to be born as an animal instead, right? So if you do some unwholesome deed to stay alive, then you're able to... It's conceivable that there's some wacky way that that could happen, but... It's not putting your, it's not getting off started on the right foot. You know, it's not putting your best foot forward. An enlightened being wouldn't do it. An enlightened being wouldn't save their life if it meant giving up the Dhamma, giving up the righteousness, goodness. Goodness is more important, ultimately. So if you have goodness, You shouldn't be afraid of death. You shouldn't be afraid of loss of limb. You shouldn't be afraid of loss of wealth. Goodness is the only thing that really is that you really need, actually. If you're living on the street but you have goodness, if you truly have goodness, you can go without food, you can go without shelter, you can withstand great suffering and still be in peace. On the other hand, if you don't have goodness, even a little bit of suffering, even no suffering, even if you have great pleasure, great luxury, it's very hard to be at peace, find happiness. Anyway, do you have any questions? We do. After sitting a walking meditation, I feel tired and like my brain is frozen and I feel a little sad too. Am I doing anything wrong? You're going way up near the top? Hmm. I oh, am, so. yeah. That was six hours ago, yeah. We have people who are, are um, I'm not sure where this person's from, but we have people who are in Europe. Yeah, this person's in France. So it is 1 a.m. there. Good. Well, thank you for finding it. Um, brain is frozen and I feel a little sad too. Well, sadness is something you have to look at. Acknowledge to yourself, sad, sad. Brain is frozen can be due to all many sorts of activity, many sorts of causes. It can be because of your daily life. could be because of your meditation, but 
anything that's caused by the meditation is something you have to learn about. You have to understand why your state of mind that you call meditation, because meditation is just looking at your state of mind. So you, it's possible during your meditation you can cultivate states of mind that are actually unwholesome. So it's meditation is about learning why that is, what's causing it, and changing it, seeing that we're causing ourselves suffering and learning to 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 change the way we the way our mind works. So, uh, but you know, the whole idea of doing something wrong, you have to not be too quick to say that, to do that, to even question that. Because it's not about doing something or doing something else. It's about understanding, about watching and learning. If you're doing it for something wrong, you'll know. But, you know, it'll, be, it'll become painful. <laughs> yeah. Meditation's very good. This meditation's very good at showing you when you're doing something wrong. You don't have to ask. Um, Robin, could you try muting yourself for a second? Sure. You do have a background sound. I don't know why it is, but you have a hissing. Maybe you need a new microphone. Okay. You're just using a fairly cheap headset? Yes. Might be that. Okay. Um, you, for this, you don't need a headset because it has good echo cancellation, but you do need a good microphone. See, if you were here, I could give you a microphone. People have sent me microphones. I have a, a different, I have a clip-on microphone, but um, I think there was a problem with when I used that, we were getting reverb. We shouldn't. So I, we may, it sometimes comes, but it shouldn't come that often. Okay, I can try that again. I'll keep it muted in between. What is the difference between Nibbana and dreamless sleep? Dreamless sleep. Dreamless sleep, sleep is still a... Um, arising there's still some kind of awareness arising it's just very dull so when you sleep it sometimes feels like time went very it feels like time went quickly but it doesn't feel like it went that quickly it's not doesn't feel like it was instantaneous in nibbana there is no sense of time passing so when a meditator realizes nibbana for even up to 24 hours, up to seven days, there is no sense of time passing. But there is a sense of complete and utter peace that is just beyond anything that you would have ever experienced asleep. Sleep is kind of peaceful, right? Because it's very quiet, but it's not silent. It's not exactly about sound, but if you, if you use the analogy of sound, sleep is very quiet, Nibbana is silent. Why wasn't the Buddha a, a solipsis? I'm not I sure what that word is. I don't really know how to answer that question. Solipsist is someone who believes that only they exist. Oh. Um, the Buddha was a Buddhist. <laughs> Why didn't the Buddha believe? Um, the Buddha taught reality, so... I don't think he would have said either way. He didn't talk like that. I exist, you exist, I exist, you don't exist. He talked about reality, which is experience. So he didn't really say either way, and it doesn't make sense to talk either way from a Buddhist point of view. I mean, for you, experience is your experience. It's nothing to do with my experience. That doesn't mean I exist and you don't, or you exist and I don't. During meditation today, I felt as if a knife was slitting my throat over and over. I didn't react physically, but it definitely drew dislike out of me. Any advice for getting through particularly painful experiences in meditation? 
Now the pain is one thing, the dislike is another. It's pretty simple, you just say pain. It's about building patience. Pain and disliking are you know, associated with imp impatience. I mean, the pain isn't, but the problem is the impatience. So pain isn't a problem if you're patient with it. And that takes time, but that's what you try to build up. Kanti paramang vadanti buddha. Kanti paramang tapo titika. The greatest form of austerity is patience. Forbearance. Bhante, I was raised Christian and asked to rely on faith, so have become cynical beyond anything I can experience firsthand. If rebirth is a fact and Buddhism the way to not waste this incarnation, how can one know this to be true without relying on faith before committing to a lifetime of practice? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, you don't have to commit to a lifetime of practice. You just have to... Accept uh, conditionally the things that we say in regards to the practice like this practice leads to this that practice leads to that and then you have to test it out and see whether that's true or not and there's no you know the whole idea of rebirth doesn't even come into it the only the only time that rebirth comes into it and it's not even rebirth it's just continued birth nothing is ever reborn but uh, the, the idea of continuation after after physical death is the extrapolation of what we know to be true the, see Buddhism limits Buddhism puts a severe limit on what you can be sure of but the, the, the awesome thing about Buddhism is it actually says you can be sure of certain things science doesn't say that modern modern science doesn't say that modern science says as far as I understand there's nothing you can be completely sure of you don't prove things, you disprove them. And if something hasn't been disproven, then for now it is considered to be true, conditionally. When you find evidence to support it, it encourages the likeliness of it being true. But you can never truly be sure of something because you're not experiencing it directly. You know, it's still using instruments and so on to to understand it so in buddhism we make the claim that there is something that is outside of that um, limitation and that is experience you can be sure when you see something you can be sure that there's an experience of seeing you can't be sure that you're seeing it's like descartes came to similar realizations we're just studying descartes so it's interesting that he got pretty close to uh, to an extent in the beginning, before he went all God on us, um, he said, thinking, thinking is certain. There's no way that this this consciousness could be fake, you know? Because if I think I'm thinking, then I'm thinking, right? If I have consciousness that I'm conscious, I can't be wrong about that because I have to be conscious in order to be conscious that I'm conscious. In order to be wrong, you have to be conscious. But he didn't get that seeing could be seeing, or he didn't go that far. So we would make a claim that seeing is always seeing. So because we put those limits on what can be known, but we have those things that we can know, we extrapolate on that and say that this is what happens in the future. This doesn't stop. So we place the burden of we would place the burden of proof on someone who says that this ends at the moment of death death and the whole physical body being outside of experience outside of what we can know to be true so you'd have to provide the mechanism by which consciousness ceases at the moment of physical death in other words we're not we don't need proof of rebirth someone who wants to postulate uh, mental death at the moment of physical death has to provide evidence so we don't worry about it basically because our understanding is it just continues forever we don't have any reason to think it stops at the moment of death 
We don't need to think about that. We just worry about the way the system appears to work, which is causal, causally dependent, you know. Things occur in order and sequence, and based on each other, they affect each other. I read somewhere today that Buddha referred to his students or followers as Dhammists rather than Buddhists. Is this so, and if so, worth knowing? Is this true, and if so, worth knowing? Well, he didn't use either of those words because those are English words. But he certainly didn't use the word Buddha, a word that would mean Buddhist. There's no, I mean, they didn't talk that way. They call, they said Buddha Savaka, which means student of the Buddha or one who listens to the Buddha. Listens, but it means more than that. It literally means one who listens, but means one who who follows the teachings. Buddha Savaka Dhamma Dhamma Patipata Dhamma Patipati. Not sure what the word is. One who practices the Dhamma. Dhamma Chari, one who lives by the Dhamma. Dhamma Vihari, one who lives in the Dhamma. I mean, they're just names. So, is it worth knowing? Not really. I mean, you could you could argue. Some people do argue that the idea of a Buddhist is problematic because it puts an us and them, the kind of thing. And the Buddha was kind of keen on this as well keen on keeping it from being you know, us and them and being clear that what he was teaching was just reality was just nature it wasn't one it wasn't specific only to buddhists and nothing to do with which religion you follow is there neutral karma No, it's neutral, it's not karmic. I mean, there are, there are acts that are karmically neutral, but they aren't considered karma. Why? Because they don't affect your future, so they're not useful, they're not, they're not, what's the word? Consequential. They're inconsequential. But there's more to it than that. It means they don't have any of the wholesome or unwholesome roots. They're functional. How does one become a Buddhist? I don't know. I mean, I just went over talking about it doesn't really mean anything. It's just a word. But, you know, there might be a better answer and it's taking the three refuges and, and undertaking to take keep the five precepts. That's really what makes you a Buddhist. Those are the really the most important qualifications. If you don't do those two things, take the three refuges and keep and vow to keep the five precepts. Not really Buddhist. You can't really ever be considered Buddhist. Now, if you break the five precepts, you can still say you're Buddhist if you're trying to follow them. So there is that. But if you don't have faith, don't have kind of faith but it means you know confidence if you don't look to the buddha the dhamma and the sangha as your guide as your refuge or if you aren't interested in keeping the five precepts or your your intention is not to keep them then you're not really buddhist those are the minimum qualifications really those are really the qualifications Bhante, will you come sit with us in meditation again soon? Sure, if you invite me. Dear Bhante, could you speak a little about Nama Rupa or direct me to one of your videos? Well, the second chapter of my second book, so on how to meditate, talks about Nama Rupa. I just confused him and Wayne today, I think. Tim, Tim was, we had a, a session today. 
So you want to learn more about Namarupa and why I asked the questions I asked today? You should read the second chapter of my second book on how to meditate. It talks about what we talked about today in reporting. What is the main difference between reincarnation and continued birth? Well, reincarnation is the idea of the soul being entering again into the body. Carne is body, right? Incarna is into the body. So it means the soul comes into the body, which the whole idea of talking about re-anything, it gives the impression that there's a thing that is being coming back. You know, there's no such thing. Nothing is ever reborn. Bonte, is it possible to not react or to be unemotional towards pleasant states, evil or heartless? What? Is it possible to not react or be unemotional toward pleasant states, evil, or heartness, heartless. That is not a syntactically, grammatically correct sentence. I'm taking and, linguistics now, so I know. And it's a little confusing. That is not a constituent, that is not a tense phrase, as we would say. Every sentence has to be a tense phrase. And then you have to be able to parse it into constituents. We cannot parse that sentence into constituents. My internal grammar says that is not a correct English sentence. Okay, maybe we'll go on to the next one and give him a chance to rewrite it. Bonte, I use Adderall for focus on schoolwork. Sometime during the day, whilst under its influence, I want to meditate, but hesitate with the stories of monks going crazy on caffeinated coffee in the back of my mind. Is it less beneficial or even unwise to meditate under the influence of Adderall? No, you should always meditate. Um, I've had seen two people go crazy under the influence of, of caffeine, but they were trying to stay up all night and meditate, which is fine, but the way they were, instead of actually being mindful, they were using um, caffeine to stay awake. So they had like eight cups of coffee, which... So the coffee actually in the end wasn't what did it. It was their laziness and their in their lack of of focus or lack of interest, lack of attention towards the real problem, and that would be their 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 own minds. So when the when you use the coffee, it's like it doesn't replace mindfulness, and so then when you're not mindful. You just pumped up on coffee. It doesn't work. I don't know what Adderall is, but if it helps you focus, okay. Um, it's a crutch, but honestly, um, if you're practicing meditation, you shouldn't need Adderall. Now, I suppose if you have strong, I guess, is it an ADHD medication? Is that what it is? Yes, it's for ADHD and narcolepsy. Remind me again what narcolepsy is. That's when you fall asleep unexpectedly. Um, oh, well, that's interesting. It, it aids in narcolepsy and ADHD? Yeah, because those seem like two such opposite yeah. states. Interesting. Also used as an athletic performance, cognitive enhancer, and recreational as an aphrodisiac, and euphoriant. So does all different kinds of stuff. Sounds like it does a lot of pleasurable things. So you can use it as a crutch, but again, if you want to be a meditator, you have to wean yourself off of it. Definitely, definitely. Now I see that Seth isn't hasn't done any meditation with us, so I'm going to have to suggest that um, try to you should try to do some meditation here. <coughs> 
you haven't read my booklet, try reading my booklet. If you have, then please do start practicing. Can't hurt you. Are antipsychotics detrimental to meditation? I mean, it's going to stop you in the end. It's in the end. It's going to be a block. It's going to stop you from learning about your psychosis. Psychosis. It's going to stop you from ever healing completely from it. But again, crutches are useful if you've got a broken leg. Once the leg heals, you should throw away your crutch. <clears throat> That's not a very good analogy, is it? Because these antipsychotics don't heal the problem; they just cover it up. So more than a crutch, they're a like a wheelchair, right? No, that's not even still a good analogy. But they can prevent you from ever fixing the problem. Eventually, you have to do physio physiotherapy, right? If you don't get up and try to walk, you'll never be able to walk. What exactly do you mean when you say crazy? Um, it's like, like what they call it, um, temporary psychosis. The person just can't, don't, doesn't know what they're doing. They wound up so they wound up so tight that they just temporarily act crazy. You know, an ordinary person, it's hard to fathom because you can't. But I've seen it. I've watched it. They really do just flail around and hit people and and run and say crazy things. It's mostly um, just an amplification of of their own ordinary craziness. They just get so caught up in it and so confident of their own path that they just keep going and going and do and say things that the rest of us would find crazy. Can you please talk more about continued birth? person has done some meditation with us not much but some it's good enough no? you're not using the cue for your question so I can't tell whether you're actually practicing but you are green so there you go continued birth I don't know I mean no no ask me a question if you have a question question I don't just talk about things. I don't know. No, I don't have anything to say about it. So if you have a specific question, let me know. But questions like that, you're asking me to think about it, and I don't think I'm not thinking about it, right? He also asked if um, we could point him to resources that clarify. Clarify what? Continued birth. In what way? What about it? I mean, it's, 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 it's a phrase. Does it mean the same thing as rebirth? Well, we don't use rebirth as wrong. There is no, no. There is use, no concept of re-anything. Re you use the absence of death, right? Well, continued birth. I mean, if you want to know what am I saying there, I'm, I'm saying that the, the phenomena that, that are arising and ceasing now don't stop at the moment of physical death, it continues. The birth of experience after experience after experience continues at the moment of death. There's no reason to think that it ceases. I mean, there is actually a reason, it's just not a good enough one, and it turns out that it's not sufficient. It doesn't actually stop the continuation of experience of birth. Which version of modified Android do you use? Replicant, CyanogenMod, CyanogenMod? I think you get a frown for that question. This is not the forum for such questions. Not the technical forum tonight. So meditation can help with psychosis. I'm really putting hope on that. I, I'll bet my money on that one. 
about all the money I have, which is zero, but absolutely. Now, some parts of it, some parts of psychosis. Psychosis, the difference between neurosis and psychosis, if I have it correct, this is like from grade 11, is neurosis is mental. Psychosis is has a basis in the physical. So to some extent, there probably are psychotic um, aspects of psychosis that will not change no matter how much you meditate in this life. Now, when you die and lose the brain and get a new brain, if you've done well, you're not going to get the same problematic brain in the future. So there's that. But that's kind of just looking to the future and we don't want to do that. Take schizophrenia, for example. Schizophrenics have hallucinations, right? That's, as I understand it, that's the big thing in, in schizophrenia. Now, the problem isn't the hallucinations, and those are, for the most part, uncurable, except with heavy medication. But without medication, they're uncurable. And even then, I would argue that, but let's say they are uncurable. For most of us, that's probably true. Um, you, you have the choice still. A schizophrenic still has the choice as to whether or not they're going to act upon those hallucinations, respond to those hallucinations. We had a schizophrenic meditating with us. He was an ex-Navy SEAL. I don't know if you call him schizophrenic. I mean, it's he seemed like it to me. I was very spending some some very close time with him. Took him to the mental hospital in the end, but he heard and saw and 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 believed so many things. Everyone was talking about him when when a loudspeaker came on in the monastery to announce something. It was about him. When some when a monk looked at him, the monk was trying to tell him something. It is, it is absolutely everything. He, he he thought I was in on it at one point, in on the conspiracy against him, just crazy things. He ended up lighting himself on fire, slitting his wrist, a lot of a lot of crazy things. But that was the thing, is he was following it. He was hearing things, and then he was just believing it, you know. And that was where he went wrong. If he saw seeing is just seeing, hearing is just hearing, even those aspects of the physical manifestations of experience, wouldn't have, you know, wouldn't wouldn't have uh, affected him. There's a way to train your mind to just see it as seeing and hearing. That's possible. Now, as for, let's say, um, psychopathic behavior, right? Psychopathic behavior. I don't know. I mean, the inability to feel certain emotions again isn't a problem. Um, but I would say it's more likely to be a limited ability to experience emotions. So there still is the ability to feel anger, it's just very little, the ability to feel guilt, but it just isn't enough. So such a person can very easily fall into unwholesome behavior, killing even, because they don't get the feedback. They don't get the same level of feedback that the rest of us do. But that is, doesn't mean that they have no they have no guilt and they have no uh, ability to perceive right and wrong. Everyone has that. Every human has that ability. And maybe not every human, but that's actually true. Some humans may not have it, and in which case that um, they don't have the ability to be mindful. Some humans are actually apparently born right with this. So it may be that certain people cannot become enlightened. That appears to be the case. They just it's not possible for them to to attain even sotapanna because of the nature of their brain, the nature of their mind. Even that doesn't preclude them from... So wait, they, they should still be able to be mindful, but it doesn't preclude them, right? So from being mindful and from discerning right from wrong, I would think. I'm actually not sure about that. There may be certain human beings whose mind is so um, limited. I don't know, that's a matter of matter for the Abhidhamma. But absolutely, I think on a practical level, what we normally think of as psychosis is um, 
work aroundable at the very least, if not um, mitigatable, ameliorateable. I don't know what the words are. Possible to be ameliorated, to be made less reduced and potentially cured. But the cure, I think, is a long shot. One in a million meditators, maybe. You know, you have to be really good to be able to go from psychotic to, to having a well a brain that works well. But, you know, there is the concept of neuroplasticity. So with enough work and dedication, I'd say a lot is possible that we normally wouldn't believe. The problem with studies on these things is that they try to look at lots of people and they purposefully ignore outliers. They perfectly purposefully ignore statistical noise, which is you know, funny because meditation is all about the abnormal. It's about the super mundane. So one in a million people is going to have you know, profoundly different results and they'll just be ignored by science because, you know, they don't fit the model. There's a really good book called, I brought this up many times, called The Book of the Damned. And it talks about how science purposefully does this. Perfectly, purposefully ignores uh, irregularities in data Constant, constantly. It's been, we've been doing this since the beginning of time. And when you're just trying to find, and it, it's, it's, it's terrible in that in the practical um, workings of, of science have much to do with funding and person's personal, you know, I mean, we talk about the double blind, but you know, how the results are interpreted and so on. It's very easy to put together a study that appears to show something. You know, some, some studies that appear to show things turn out to be just ridiculous. Anyway, not to get too off track, but I just mean to say that things that don't seem possible, there's a lot of things that can be done. And, but it may only be you who can do them, and most people can't do it, and therefore it'll never show up in a study. So what you should do is take your own experience, take your own mind and try to learn from it. There is nothing and no one, even animals, even beings in hell, that cannot improve their situation. Absolutely. You know, it's up to you to improve your situation. And the great thing is, is that we've got eternity to do it. So there's, it's never hopeless. You know, anyone who thinks it's hopeless needs a good slap in the face. Anyone who's given up is just being ridiculous. You know, it's because we, we have eternity, you see. It's not going to end. You can't give up and say, okay, game over. There is no game over. Sure, give up. Eventually, you're going to realize that didn't work. Right? I killed myself. Oh, shoot. <laughs> I'm going to do it again. It's like that movie Groundhog Day, right? He kills himself countless times apparently that movie the time span they asked the question of whether that what was the time span of that movie how many days did what was this was that bill murray bill murray have to live and it was something someone said it was hundred thousand years or something like that in total so he tried absolutely everything he lived life he lived day after day after day killed himself in so many different ways nothing worked and then finally, he just decided to be a nice guy, you know, finally, finally. And voila, that worked. Bhante, is there anything one should have prepared for the individual appointments? At least an hour of meditation a day, first walking and then sitting. Should have been doing, before your first appointment, I would say try to do a week of walking and sitting at least one hour a day. More if you can, but uh, at least an hour. Because otherwise all I'm gonna tell you is to do that. My understanding of continued birth is that people will continue to be born and experience life after you die. Isn't this just a truism or is it more nuanced than that? 
What? What do you mean by truism? Truism means something that's true. Yes, it's true. You quoted that Ajahn Tang Sarimangalo is a living reminder that the Buddha once walked this earth. Can you share a memorable teaching of his? I don't know. It's not it's not about the individual teachings, it's about the person. So sometimes you meet a person who is just well, very rarely, most people never, I would say, meet such a person. But um if you meet the Buddha, you know by spending time with him that that's a Buddha. What meditation tradition is used in most of the studies published? I don't think there is one. I mean, there's a lot of studies been done with the MBSR group. But I don't know. Forgive me for the long description, Bhante. A Christian friend of mine told me that he will never leave his religion after he saw and was spoken to by Jesus directly after he vocally cried for God's help. He claims Jesus told him a verse out of the Bible, which he hadn't known at the time. I can't help but believe he at least saw this, but would still like to know what kind of explanation there could be for this in Buddhism. Hey, maybe there's an angel up there telling him things. Yeah, I mean, there are angels, there are gods, so that could be a cause. One thing that people don't realize is even if there is a god and is is a are angels or are beings who can talk to us, doesn't mean we should listen to them. There's still no reason. It's like the, you know, we fall into this trap with so many things, those of us who were brought up in a Judeo-Christian or a, a theistic society, a theistic culture, that things that are natural, every part of the universe has, you know, this idea of everything happens for a reason is such hogwash. The idea that natural foods are better for you, that's hogwash. How do you know? How do you know that natural foods are not poisoning us? Well, there is some, the idea that it's, you know, it's it's worked well for us and we've eaten the same things for so long that we've had time to adapt our bodies perfectly. That for sure is true. But we, I was having this discussion recently with someone and I said, you know, synthetic drugs could in many ways be better than natural drugs. Because, you know, there's no such, there's no reason to believe that the bark of this tree is actually, it wasn't designed for us. It wasn't designed for our use. Even the foods that we eat, they've just grown up with us. But how do we know that there's not a, a way to genetically modify food that actually makes it better for us in some way? You know, makes our minds work better or makes our bodies stronger or something. The only reason you could have to think that is if there was a god, a designer, right? Which is ridiculous. But then what my point here is, even if there was a designer, how do you know they're not a jailer? My uncle has these awesome theories, well, not awesome, but wacky theories. And they're not his, but he's reading so much about, I bet there's people in the audience or people who follow my videos who know about these guys. What is it? Ra? No, is it Ra? Something Egyptian. What is this? All these things he's reading, and the idea—the the idea is that there's a—we're living in a jail, and some humans are our jailers. They're—they're—they've been employed to keep us here, and this is a prison. But there's an intergalactic of it. it; just gets really wacky. But I mean, it's whatever. There are higher beings who are keeping us imprisoned here, and so on. Um. And basically saying that the angels are our prisoners, or the gods are our prisoners. How do we know that that's not the case? So it doesn't matter whether there's a god or whether there's Jesus telling you this or that. What matters is whether it's true. And without a, without appealing to God or Jesus or anything, you can figure out what's true. So him vocally crying for God's help shows that he's a wimp, shows that he's a weenie. Shows that shows lack of. I mean, sorry, I'm being, I'm being kind of. I don't mean to be mean, but um, what I mean to say is it. It's a that's his problem, needing help, you know, looking outside, looking for someone else to save him. It's like 
It's like this is what children do. Their parents are infallible, so they look to their parents to help them. And eventually they realize it's not true and they grow out of it. So I tell people, I used to talk to God, but I grew out of it. You know, All kids have imaginary friends. Mine was God. I did. I talked to God until I was like 12. And he talked back. It was kind of like those, uh, there was this, this fantasy series called Maybe you know, Robin, you're a sci-fi. Are you a sci-fi person or a fantasy person? Mm. A little bit. Uh, David Eddings. Do you know David Eddings? No. Uh, what were they called? But there was these books, and anyway, the hero, God, one of the gods, the good god, I think. Anyway, it's really weird, but talks to him. And I was into those when I was a kid, so I think that was an influence that I was talking to. Point being... No, um, no, that's not. That's a little bit beside the point. But more to the point is when people appeal to God. When you look for something, you're just in anguish, and so you look for, please help me. It's a weakness. Doing that is is the problem. That's where your problem lies. That's not where your problem lies, but that is a problem. That is not the solution. Asking for people, other people, to help you is not the solution. It'll never work. It means that you are incapable of dealing with your own suffering, dealing with your own problems. And so you get the help from that person, you're still incapable of dealing with problems when they arise. So in the future, if that situation arises again, you have to ask for help again. You're saying that this situation I am not able to deal with. Please help me to find a new situation, to get a new set of variables. So when that original set of variables, if it should arise again, you're going to need help again. The only way someone can really help you is if they show you a way in which you can deal with that set of variables in a new way that can give you wisdom. But all they're doing there is showing you how to help yourself. So people say that God does that, Jesus does that. I think they're, God and Jesus and the Christian religion is very inefficient and never really gets to the core of providing um, tools to truly deal with our problems there are some good tools in christianity for sure but there are some wacky ones as well like appealing to god for help you end up just making excuses for god oh well he did it because of this or he's helping me in that way and you know it's like whatever you make excuses so that no matter what happens it's always god and god's plan for me and yada 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 i mean it just becomes what they call God of the gaps. Whatever we know, whatever we don't yet know was caused. Whatever we don't yet know the cause for, we say God did it. But it's even worse than that. It's pretending that God did things that can be easily ascribed to other causes. When something, when we pray for something and we get it, we say it was God. When we pray for something and we don't get it, we still say it was God. We don't, but people do. You know, it's that. It's that crazy, really. That's what theism does to you. I mean, I don't know. There's lots of... You can see there's just... appears to be lots of problems with this. I like the Dhammapada verse that says, um, you are your own savior. What other savior do you need? Do you need? Yeah. That's a good one. Or the Dalai Lama. Did you ever see... Did you see that video I posted recently? Yes. From Kundun, the movie Kundun. Have you ever seen that movie? I didn't know just that little clip that you posted. So worth it's worth seeing, I think, if you're interested in the Dalai Lama. I saw it many years ago before I was Buddhist. I'm about to graduate college and I'm having a hard time figuring out what to do with the rest of my life. Can you give me some advice on what to do in this life that is actually worthwhile? I live in America and I desperately do not have to work and I desperately do not have to work a typical nine-to-five for the rest of my life. I think he desperately doesn't want to work a typical mm -hmm. nine-to-five for the rest of his life. Yeah, I hear you. Hear ya. So what can you do? Like, I could give you all sorts of wacky answers, like become a monk. I mean, how wacky is that? Who becomes a monk, really? But that would be a good answer. 
it's not really not likely reasonable answer i'm sure you know unless you're unique you know unique unless you're kind of abnormal i guess in a sense or, or unordinary unordinary that would be something not likely to happen becoming a monk get involved with the monastery you know anyone who's in this position as a buddhist or a buddhist practitioner get involved with the monastery you know, see what you can do when i was i had no money and i didn't want to go to work and i wanted to go back to university actually i just went to this cambodian monastery and said can i stay here <laughs> sleep on the floor and they let me and i kept eight precepts and i didn't help out nearly as much as i should and if i had it all to do over again i wouldn't have done it the same i would have helped more but i was kind of you know well i was young and everything whatever there was a lot of it was all new to me i did help some but you know i guess live and learn but go and help at a monastery which is i didn't help enough go and help and do what you can to to do something there and you can often get um i don't know i see people doing this and sometimes you wind up being a mooch and that's no good but you know really that is what monasteries are there for and often you can help out with english language at monasteries meditation centers you could move to asia you know go and live in sri lanka it might take some time you have to go there once and come back and go there again but you'd probably have to ordain if you did that No, I mean we're at the point now where this teaching is still not well established in outside of Buddhist countries, so still hard to find. I mean, in some ways there is no answer just because our resources are limited. Finding the right place to get involved deeply involved in Buddhism is not really possible i guess another thing i might say is don't worry so much about getting a nine to five job working isn't hell you know working is your livelihood and many lay buddhists who did work you know jobs that were equivalent to nine to five or even more were able to become enlightened we, ne we need those kind of people as well you know to support the monasteries we need people who can support them I and mean, i'm always being radical and it's not really fair talking become a monk become a monk because not everyone can become a monk for whatever reason and it's not how we build buddhism up anyway we need support you know we need people who are living that way i mean it's not exactly like that if everyone did become monastic then there would be other people who would support us yeah, that's the idea but there always has to be those people and they're not incapable of practicing So you have to decide where you fall on that spectrum and what sort of resources there are so if there's not enough resources to ordain then or to live in a monastery or meditation center then get a nine-to-five job but find one that allows you to meditate i'm not sure i mean physical labor still does seem to me to be the best even though you're really tired it's not a barrier to meditation something that's too mental or too stressful on the mind is I would say a lot worse but you can get meaning you know mindless mental jobs as well where it's still just repetitive tasks and so it doesn't really hurt your mind it just gives you lots of concentration so that's not harmful to your meditation necessarily and any job you do you know you can come back and meditate you can continue it's just slower so do what you can i mean instead of wishing and being desperate about not getting caught in something figure out where you are and move move closer to the light find out where the light is the end of the tunnel and move there that's it we're all in different spots in the tunnel and we have different tunnels but the light is in one spot the light is in one direction so head there 
One day today in um, sangha.sirimangala.org, somebody asked if temporary ordinations were available at your monastery. Mm. No. No, they're not. Bhante, was the earth school not designed? Who is responsible for the design of a leaf? Mm. Who is responsible for the design of a leaf? Uh, talk to the evolutionary biologist. Natural selection was responsible for the leaf. Cause and effect was responsible for the design of a leaf. Well, you think the design of a leaf is perfect or the sign of a god? <laughs> Not really. That's, Not even close. That's what Christians are taught. Everything is made by God. Perfectly I, made I by lived god. in the forest. I've lived in the forest for many years. As I, when I was young, I lived 18 years in the forest. When I was in Sri Lanka, I've lived in the jungle. In Thailand, I lived in the jungle. You think nature is perfect. Man, you've not, not spent much time in nature. There's nothing perfect about a leaf. It's not, no sign that it's designed. We're living on a lump of a lump of rock hurtling through spinning through the round and spinning around in circles on a lump of rock. That's us. We're spinning around in circles on a lump of rock. It's not God. I mean there are apparently gods and so it is a there is more to the system than we think. And it actually is quite a beautiful uh, system beautiful I mean in the sense of uh, it works remarkably it's remarkably perfect in a sense but it's perfect in a way that leads to a lot of suffering and that's about it the continuation of the system things like leaves they're all part and parcel of the suffering of the universe, the unpleasantness, the, un the dissatisfaction, the continued seeking and searching and chasing and wanting and inability to satiate, satiate one's desires. Anyway, we're over time, so enough. Too many questions. Thank you, Bhante. Wayne said, I think it was Wayne today who said, thank you for being patient with all these people asking questions. <laughs> and I said, I prefer this. I prefer, not this, I prefer that, the one-on-one. One-on-one -on -one is so much nicer because it's someone who's meditating, who has questions about meditation, and they're, you can really talk to them about their meditation. This sometimes I feel like people are just asking questions because they hear me talk or something, you know? You really need to know the answer to that question. Sorry, I don't mean to be harsh. I'm going to get down votes for that, probably. <laughs> I don't care. Downvote me all you want. Now you should get up votes for your patients. <laughs> you too. I'm, it's, it's great that Robin's joined me here. It's good to have a foil. I think you call that a foil? Someone who is your foil? Don't quite know what that means. I think it's proper. Anyway, good night, everyone. Good night, Bante. Thank good you. Night. Thank you, Robin.